Hello and welcome to another episode of Normandy FM. A very special episode of Normandy FM because it is something of a filler episode. I am, as always, one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing today? Feels weird to be talking about Mass Effect again, kind of, to be honest. Right? It's been well over a year since we had a Mass Effect episode. I, I gotta I gotta crack the can right here in honor of uh, us returning to the universe of Mass Effect. Like, you know, we do the bio blips and all that. and Bio bits. It, see, I knew I was going to do that again. It's it's a newsy thing. It's a newsy thing you call a short story a blip. And I knew I was going to mess it up, which is why I suggested we call it bio blips. But somehow we ended up bio bits. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> I suggested we call it bio blips. And then you said not. Nah. I look who who could say me <laughs> um but the uh the the weird thing is like we're going to be talking about I think a piece of Mass Effect canon that I you know we we didn't get around to when we were playing through Mass Effect 3 and I was going into it wondering you know how much do I feel like this is going to matter to the canon and am i going to regret us having not seen this before we covered mass effect 3 and all that so today we are talking about mass effect paragon lost which is the animated movie uh covering the life of one james vega prior to the events of mass effect 3 kind of filling in uh visually some of the backstory we learn uh if you talk to him in mass effect 3 uh, about his life Ken, I gotta be real honest with you, right up front. Mm. This movie kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, this is my first time seeing it. Fresh, hot off of my first viewing, I gotta say, uh, there was not a whole lot I enjoyed about this. Mm. Um, I, uh, yeah, it feels like one third, like, like they were combining pieces of movie because you know the backstory that we're trying to fill in here is that james vega was a former alliance marine who was uh caught up in some collector action at some point and uh was on the colony fell prime which is one of the colonies that was hit by the collectors uh and also james vega loves shepherd everybody knows this everybody vega loves shepherd k-i-s-s-i-n-g all that kind of stuff and they tried to just kind of build more story into it and i think what we ended up with was just a brand of movie tie-in that we don't see very often anymore but is mm. not really that spectacular how did you feel about it ken i'm gonna blow your fucking mind oh no i i for roughly like the first half i agree with you i think i think the movie is fucking garbage and weird in what like the characterization of like both james's character and like the mass fight universe as a whole is very yeah. strange in this movie mm-hmm. like clearly not made by bioware clearly made by you know a company that has like a tangential understanding of the way this world works but the second half of the movie i actually kind of dug in the ways it felt like it was able to capture the horror of the collectors in a way that I don't think Mass Effect 2 mm. did as much until, like, you know, like, the very specific moments in Mass Effect 2, like, seeing 
uh, Kelly Chambers, like, liquefied and made into, to help make the Reaper. Um, but, like, when you put, like, actual personal stakes onto, like, the horrifying things that the collectors do, it was more affecting and, like, like really felt the horror of it for me in a way that, you know, because, like, even Horizon, which was, like, the equivalent of this event that this movie, uh, you know, really covers, that is, you know, you have Caden Rashley who's there, but, like, you see them for, like, a split second and they're fine. Like, they, like... Mm-hmm. Again, like, the personal stakes of this movie, like, sold me on some of the more grotesque things that the collectors do. So, as, like, a world-building piece, I think it was effective in the, like, in the latter half, but just as, like, a whole package, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is, like, dealing with, like, anime tropes that Mass Effect, like, has maybe some adjacent things to, but, like, doesn't, I don't, like, I mean, it, it starts off, like, with, the, you know, James Squad basically being, like, different anime tropes like, given corporeal form, and, uh, I ended up watching the, the movie in, like, two sittings, because, like, I just, the first half was just so aggressively not doing it for me that I was like, I'm gonna come back to this later, because, like, we, I finished Jade Empire for last week's episode early enough that, like, I had time to break up my viewings, but then the second time I was just kind of like, man, they, like, had, like, a semblance of an idea of, like, how to make this all, like, very effective. First half, garbage, second half did some interesting things. I, I don't disagree with you that the, the second half of the movie is way better than the first half. The first half is abysmally bad. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it starts out and we've got Vega and a squad about to drop into a situation and they kind of build it up like, oh, you don't really know what's going on, you know, what, what are we doing here? Uh it's almost like the sense that they're about to do some sort of covert, uh, morally questionable operation of some kind. And they end up landing down as uh, Blood Pack mercenaries are attacking a colony called Fell Prime. And, uh, you know, it, it is kind of a Black Hawk down scenario in which their their ship goes down and they have to kind of fend off this uh attacking force and obviously the subtext of black hawk down in this case does not do it charitable favors Mm. but um it's yeah you start out and immediately they're like okay here's the nerdy one who's who's good at tech stuff here's the sniper guy who's like everybody owes me drinks for life because it keeps saving their life Mm. ha ha and and here's the uh, the one woman in in the squad. We have one girl in the squad, uh, and then the biotic guy who also uh, sexually harasses her multiple times mm-hmm. uh, in the first five minutes. Yep. Uh, multiple stages of harassment too, which really got me because I was like, oh great, he's gonna like ogle her while he's while while she's getting geared up for this fight and all that he makes a joke about oh i love seeing you go commando and stuff like that and, grabs and i was like oh Jesus, fuck like yeah i was like groan and then he just straight up like grabs her ass in front of everybody and she's like oh i'll break your arm if you do that again and everybody laughs and i'm like jesus christ is there yeah. not like can we get like workplace harassment suits in here please? yeah and like that's like that was one of like i mean again that's like in the first five minutes it's like just like seeing like a different company's like understanding of this universe like Mass horny like that's never been in question and you know we, we talked throughout you know our retrospective about like the various ways in which like some of that lands and some of it absolutely does absolutely fucking doesn't but that was like there was never a point where like you, you had you saw people straight up assaulting each other like 
I think in a fucking military. Hmm. I, I was just gonna say the closest is like Harkin in Mass Effect One. If you are Femshep, like Harkin says some really sleazy stuff to you, mm. and but then you are Shep and you get to like respond and be like, "Hey, go fuck yourself," and that's yeah. like here. I'm just going to, like, lay this out now. Um, The female characters in this movie kind of get done wrong at just about every turn. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was another thing that I really kind of came away from this movie, was I was like, man, I know it's, like, supposed to be Vega's story and Vega's backstory and all that kind of stuff, but they really find ways to just completely, like, like Essex, the, the biotic guy ends up becoming this like hero by the end with no real reconciliation for the way he acts as a right. person and uh meanwhile camille the one girl in the squad uh doesn't get to do much throughout most of the movie besides get harassed by one guy and date another and then gets turned into a reason why the guy she's dating dies right so yeah <laughs> it's uh they they touch down he's so vega's got a, a shepherd pin that's the other thing to note is they're very much like oh yeah so vega loves shepherd shepherd's an ideal for humanity um gotta gotta love that ship and which is i mean interesting uh, in a way because like we meet by the time we met james in Mass Effect three he he was maybe more jaded towards shepherd and like yeah um, and for for the reasons that the film is going to you know actually cover, but um, it did lead to this interesting moment because like, and this is something that I've been kind of like talking about, um, recently like with all the talk about like the new Mass Effect and like the idea of like a quote unquote canon version of the trilogy. This is like mm-hmm. an example of where it felt like very much a pillar in extended media of Mass Effect to like be sure to not undermine a player at any point because Shepard is never referred to by a gender in this uh, in this mm-hmm. movie so it did lead to this moment with sx where he says something along the lines of uh shame shepherd's dead you would have made a really cute couple mm-hmm. and that carries two different connotations depending on whether shepherd is a man or a woman right Cause, right because like okay if shepherd is a woman that i guess like it, that is just like an annoying fucking thing like oh this man can't revere a woman for her and that you know granted in, in the case of Matt, like when Mass Effect 3 comes around and like that becomes messier there but then, if Shepard is in your in your mind's eye a man, it could be considered a homophobic joke, just because like oh you you want to you like you have reverence for this man, so clearly you want to get fucked by him and like you know shit like that. So like I I don't really know how I felt about the moment, but just like that the way that there could be that friction and like mm-hmm. different ways you can take that line depending on how you perceive the method universe is an interesting like phenomenon to me. Uh, so, I don't know, like, I, I didn't really, I, like, I don't have much feeling about the joke itself, but just, like, it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, right, this, like, these movies and these books and this comics that we're gonna be talking about, like, you, you do bring in, like, a certain level of, like, a certain level of yourself into them, because, like, you know that this world exists in, like, a quantum state that has to recognize that you exist in it while not necessarily dealing with the realities of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's a little weird because there's another line in the movie. Uh, at one point, I think it's Essex again who says something like, 
oh, you're going to be like Commander Shepard, uh, save the girl, ride off into the yep. sunset, all yep. that kind of stuff. And I was like, I was thinking in my head, I was like, is the implication there that, A, is the implication that Shep, like, canonically romanced a female-type character? Could that be considered Liara or Ashley or what? Yeah. Um, or is that, like, is he just, again, is it a vague colloquialism you know is he just saying like oh you're going to save someone and ride off into the sunset right. not necessarily saying shep did the same but yeah it's right just like is it, it heroic weird... that you're talking about or like the being with a woman that you're referring to and that's yeah like... it's 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 all kind of weird um there's a lot of moments like that in this because uh, we also we find out that the blood pack is is who this the squad is going to fight on Val prime and someone calls them I, I think it's the pilot of flyboy calls them dirty space turtles yeah and i'm just sitting there like what is mm. yeah it, again like it just feels like there's like a lack of understanding of like how this universe talks about these things like there's like this very like this very much as an unothering of a krogan or like and it felt like very much in Mass Effect 1, when we were, like, headed to Eden Prime, and, like, people well, had their fucking I, jabs about Turians, and... Like, I think that makes a little bit of sense for, like, an Alliance military person right. to be, like, vaguely spacist, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it's... I, I was sitting there, I was like, dirty space turtles. It, was, it, it, mm. it felt like it was both, like, some sort of, like, derogatory term, but also, like, who sat down and wrote that line and was like, yeah, that's what we should go with. Not, like... Um, stinking lizards or whatever, but like dirty space turtles has like so much venom in it, but also sounds so ridiculous. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I'm just sitting here like, what the fuck? Who wrote this yeah. line? Well, if you um, consider that these characters' existence, animation, where the Krogan look like what they do, maybe they just don't yeah. have like the like the same like understanding of what these characters are supposed to look. Cause, like the aliens in this movie look fucking rough. Like, I'm gonna say. A lot of this movie looks rough in a way that made me kind of surprised that Production IG was the production company behind it. Because um, for for the non the non anime watchers at home, uh, Production IG is fairly well known in the realm of anime. They've done stuff like Psychopaths, uh, which is mm. an extremely good series, uh, mm. and they've done. Uh, the the most recent run of Fooly Cooly and stuff like that, so they're not like, it wasn't like they just got some random animation studio to do a Mass right. Effect animation. They got a pretty well known company, a pretty well known anime company to make this, and I probably the most relevant uh, work that they've done to this is Ghost in the Shell Arise, which mm. I see a lot of in this because the CG just kind of looks like the same sort of like, like, you know, low detail, uh, kind of right. off looking CG on, an, on a drawn background. And like you said, a lot of the aliens, especially here. And then later on, uh, with the collectors, uh, look just kind of off yeah. like, like, like they're missing things or like, man, I, I can't wait for us to talk about the giant collectors because that I, I have not stopped thinking about giant collectors about since I saw giant collectors. 
Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. But good lord, I've not stopped thinking about it since I saw it. <laughs> um, so, so they go down and uh, they, you know, all all of the squad is trying to get out. The colonists were basically holding by themselves and dying and, and failing to hold off the blood packs. So the alliance marines are here to help. Uh, the captain, when, when the ship goes down, the captain's injured. So they try to get him out and they end up... Uh, when 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 James sets his leg, uh, he yells, and the Krogan uh, and, and the rest of the Blood Pack hear that, chase after him. Uh, firefight ensues, and Vega's like, "Stop! Stop wasting ammo!" Which again, we have to think about in this universe. There are like they do have thermal clips, and also power cells, which were a thing that was also weird to think about. I guess because it's something we never really had to deal with in the games but the idea of a battery for biotics like heavy as well yeah um but uh they they end up cracking together a plan where they just kind of go through this distraction thing to take on the blood pack and i i gotta be honest my attention was was in and out during this whole part because mm. i it was really hard for me to care about any of these characters. And I yeah. think that was my main problem for the first, you know, third to half of this movie was uh, they, it seemed like they set up this whole fight scene in the beginning to introduce you to the characters and their strengths and what they do in the squad and all that. But they don't really give you any stakes and they keep trying to do bait and switches where you think someone has been shot and will die, but is actually not. Uh, they're they're actually fine and yeah it's it's just kind of a dull fight sequence mm-hmm. I don't know like yeah. I don't know what else to say can you guys yeah, think about I, this no not really like I, this was the point where it was like oh there's not much to what's going on so I again like like you said I I was kind of also in and out of attention for most of the fight scene mm-hmm. yeah it's. Like, the main takeaway is they kill everybody, and then the Krogan gets taken prisoner. And, and like, Essex is just an ass through all of it, too. Like, ugh. Because he, he like, ends up throwing a Varen corpse on top of Camille by accident, and it's, like, played up for a joke or something. Mm. And then when... So the Krogan leader was, I guess, the one important plot point in all this. Um, they, they stop the Krogan leader... And when uh, he's about to, Essex is about to kill him, and James stops him, says, "Nah, he's a prisoner now. We gotta take him in. Uh, we don't murder people here." And then there's that you two gonna kiss joke. Ugh. Mm. Uh. Hmm. Ken. Mm-hmm. I just I, I don't know. It's, it's, Get okay, if... let's, get to, let's get to the better part of this movie. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go. Um, so at this point, we meet Anderson and Hackett. Hey! Only not really Anderson and Hackett because they're both voice actors are trying to imitate the, the characters. Well, okay, Anderson sounded like he was trying to sound like Keith David. I don't know who the fuck that Hackett dude was like trying. Like, I don't know that... who he referenced to like try and get that voice out. Who was that? I don't know who like, that like, was. 
uh, Anderson was off, but I eventually like figured out. I was like, oh, it's supposed to be Anderson. Um, right. Like Hackett, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's this weird voice where he's like, "Thank you so much for the the job you did." Uh, he sounded like Cookie Monster a little bit to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so like he was trying to do the Hackett like mysterious like voice. You know, Hackett's got like a a. a a timber to to mm-hmm. his voice especially in two uh where he sounds all like mysterious and like he's coming through in you know in a legal comms channel and he's giving you the details and he's got to get back back out he's like the informer and all that kind of stuff uh but the deep throat attempt here was not was not good it was bad so, there are like i think four, there are four returning characters in Paragon Moth from the trilogy. And mm-hmm. James is the only one that has a returning voice actor. So, shout out to Freddie Prince Jr. for coming back and, like, being into the idea of doing this. Um, none of them... They don't even really look like their characters Wait. that much, either. Like, and that's, like, the art style thing. It's, like, James, even, is unrecognizable. Like, I would... It's, like, if I had not seen this movie and you put that character in front of me, I would not have known who he was. Anderson and Hackett... On top of not having their voices, don't look like their their in game uh, equivalent. So I was uh-huh. like, it. I mean, I knew who they were this time, but like when I first saw it, it like took me a second to realize, oh, those are like returning meaningful characters to me that I should like have an emotional reaction scene. But no, I just have the surprise. Oh, they just referred to that man by Hackett who sounds and looks nothing like him. So now <laughs> I have it. I have it like retroactively. I guess I don't know. It was, and I'll, I'll say that the other character that we have that's returning from Mass Effect, their voice actor actually did a pretty decent job in trying to assume the role of the mm-hmm. character they were playing. I mean, you can still tell it wasn't the original voice, but right. it was um, it, it was a good attempt. It was a good job. Um, earned their paycheck that day, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, heck, it's just bizarre. And, and he gives him this... He gives Vega this whole thing about, like, don't follow... You know, Shepard is uh a good commander but you know don't follow in their footsteps uh you know you might you know you might not like what you see and all that kind of stuff and yeah it's it's weird i think um, the implication there is that this is supposed to be after the, the intro to mass effect 2 where so shepherd is dead at this point ah yeah okay i was trying was to figure under- out that was my understanding of the line at least well so my i was trying to figure out because i was assuming that at that point Oh yeah, that would line up better. Yeah, so this would be after the intro of Mass Effect Two, um, or at least somewhere near that time, because then we jump forward two years, uh, which is handily enough the amount of time that it took for the Lazarus Project. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we are now two years later because uh, Vega's Marines have been assigned to the colony as a security detail for mysterious reasons. Uh, they've just kind of been hanging out, putting up defenses, getting to know the colonists. Um, you know, so the the major major character developments is that they have new uniforms. <laughs> but how do you uh, know time has passed if they're wearing the same clothes? Exactly. Uh, somebody's got to be wearing. Well, you know, the time has passed because now Camille is dating the pilot. Um, mm. That that's a thing. Uh, who I can't remember the pilot's actual name. I'm gonna keep calling him Flyboy. Um, that's that's how critical he was to the plot of this mm. this film. 
yeah, so we've got Nikki, Milk, Camille, Essex, Pilot, um, Vega are all hanging out, all all doing stuff on the colony, building defenses. They they kind of just have been building defenses for years, as we understand it. Um, there's a few different colonists. There's there's like this random dude who we just kind of meet and see, you know, to establish that Vega has been. Uh, meeting people and and making friends with them uh there's april who's this little girl daughter of christine who we saw at during the battle mm. uh earlier in the movie uh who uh is kind of like this this small kid that really looks up to vega and all that and then we have tria james who is her last name actually james no, actually there's, I, there's supposed to be a comma here yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> I was like, oh, Ken must have been must have caught that. I didn't caught, catch that, but yeah. <laughs> um, now you threw me off. I can't believe you've done this to me, Ken. Can't believe you've done this. Um, Tria is an Asari doctor that James has a crush on, uh, and it, he's super bad at doing it. And she keeps giving him the cold shoulder, and is kind of weird. Right. So here's something that like. The characterization of James in this movie is weird to me for a number of reasons. Why was I think this you're about dude to hit on the thing I I didn't like? So yeah. <laughs> well, it's so like why was this dude like so like ready to like be flirty and weird, but Tria he has like fucking no like I I don't know, like James is very stoic in this movie in a way that does not match the character that we know in Mass Effect Three, and again yeah. it feels like whoever wrote this movie was like he is a soldier and that, that is like carries, like, a very particular archetype in their brain, and so they had a character that has, like, no personality until, like, the last third of the movie. Yep. Um, he kind of Not that I think that James is, like... Not that I think that James is, like, a riveting individual in the Mass Effect universe, (laughs) but he did have a personality in Mass Effect 3. It's it's almost kind of weird, because, honestly, the character that James most reminds me of is, like, a Paragon version of Commander Shepard. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's maybe kind of the idea is that maybe, you know, James was one way and then this whole situation happens and it affects him and he changes. But I just don't feel like they communicate that change at all by the end of it. And right. I, and yeah, also, yeah, like again, they, they set up this love interest story and not to get like way ahead of ourselves here, but it it then makes it all the more weird that he's like flirting and stuff that there's this character that clearly means a great deal to James, Mm -hmm. you know, both romantically and just as a person who I guess she doesn't come up in mass. I don't remember him ever mentioning a a character named Tria and yeah, he totally hits on Shepard. If you are Fem Shep and it's like, what? I I, I don't know. It feels so divorced from the reality of the, the, franchise at large which is so weird like i just i mean i guess that's a question we'll keep asking like, what was their intention in this movie like i don't understand their intention was to make a mass effect movie that they could I sell guess. to people <laughs> i guess that's enough uh yeah that was that was my takeaway from this was like you know i've seen a lot of video game movies in my lifetime i've you know, I did a list for Fanbyte uh, a couple years back that was, like, rating all the video game fighting movies. So, like, um, you know, Mortal Kombat 
all the obvious ones but there are also a lot of those movies that are just like tie-ins uh street fighter 4 good example actually i think i might be wrong about this but i think it was made by the same company i'm going to look this up no it wasn't but uh the animation style definitely reminded me of production ig um but street fighter 4 had a tie-in movie called the ties that bind that was kind of a similar thing which was like introducing the character of jury and the whole idea behind it was that jury was running around causing all these problems and chun li cammy and guile had to kind of team up and uh work together to stop her but that all made sense within the canon of street fighter at large because a street fighter is not really like there's not a lot of plot going on in those games to start with you know there's just kind of a reason why all these characters are gathering in a place and fighting each other and then a resolution at the end of it uh but also because those characters were in a place where you could expand on their story a little bit and grow the universe so you could learn more about what cammy does as a um as an agent abroad i forget which organization she works for they all work for different organizations but they're all kind of working for various government agencies whereas here like mass effect's pretty established universe is what Mm -hmm. i'm trying to get at like there's it's established you're working with characters who are fairly established you're going into a movie that is fairly are you going into a game that has a fairly established like character arc uh for james vega and yeah it just really seems like there are two different versions of the character here yeah and it was never really reconciled which one should be it um anyways uh we uh i just mm, i just remember the thing i really didn't like <laughs> um, to it. yeah yeah uh so there there's kind of some weird stuff it's, it's implied there's some weird stuff happening um you know there's a vague mention of cerberus at the beginning uh which you know is a thing let's put a pin in that um the vega and tria are standing on a tram ride uh kind of awkwardly next to each other in a scene that feels very reminiscent of evangelion uh there are a few moments in this movie where i was like it feels like they're kind of making reference to other films Mm. right now but or other anime works right now um but then this dude named messner shows up messner is a uh kind of traveling merchant of sorts who is delivering some contraband stuff or some confidential stuff i should say to the labs and we also find out that tria is not allowed into these secret underground labs for some reason because uh reasons and she's really frustrated about that because she used to be and now that ever since the alliance showed up Mm -hmm. it's been different for her and so that's kind of her reason for not liking james and the rest of the marines is like oh everything was going fine until you guys showed up so mer um and, and then there's a mysterious signal in outside the outpost uh so the team's got to head out on foot until messner who is nearby is just like yo man i got this old vehicle that you could use instead of just hoofing it out there it's called a mako mm-hmm. um 
Ken, is this supposed to be what happened to the Mako from Mass Effect 1? Is that the implication here? Sure. Because they say something about, like, it's a used Mako and all that. And I well, was I mean, like, Shepard's was busted up on the Battle of Citadel. Oh, oh, you're right. Okay. I was like, are they really just going to be like, we brought back the Mako, like, specifically Shepard's Mako? It's like, um, how in floor can we make this? Yeah. Um, that's at least... I thank you for for bringing that to my attention because now i'm not worried that that's actually the case and i was going (laughs) to groan even more (laughs) um and they find they end up taking the mako out there on a surprisingly straightforward not at all uh mako like drive (laughs) to to the artifact um and it's this weird looking artifact and they end up deciding you know what it's jamming our communications. It's doing weird stuff. Should probably just shoot it. Um, yeah, and, and Shreya gets really mad about that. Uh, ends up taking some of the pieces of this artifact to try and figure out its origins. Uh, she's she talks about apparently you find out she knows a lot about the Protheans and all that kind of stuff, and then she's like, "Oh, we should talk to my mentor about this. Her name's Doctor Liara Sony." Dun dun dun, um, which felt like one of the more egregious, like cameos or like references, because like clearly the means... Asari Doctor, the Asari characters all know each other. Obviously, yeah. Come on, Ken. Like, and <laughs> not, but I, I think there's like an interesting kind of like because we talk to her and like Liara just like is like starts giving like the Reaper talk and like mm-hmm. we know that's like the normal thing. But everyone else is like, oh, this house sounds like a bunch of conspiracy theories. And so, like, Tria does say that, like, Liara has kind of, like, been... <laughs> outcast? Like... Yeah, kind of, kind of like, yeah. Outcast. like, people, like, you know, she has been painted as, like, a conspiracy theorist. And, like, She's the Alex Jones of Mass Effect. Don't disrespect <laughs> her like that. She's getting on a podcast every week, like, the Reapers are coming! <laughs> But it did, <laughs> Jesus Christ, it did, like, it was a moment for me, like, that was something that I maybe wish that they had really focused on more in Mass Effect 2 and 3, is that, like, the life that the, the Mass Effect 1 squad had to kind of, like, live and deal with in the time that Shepard was dead. Because, like, I mean, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, kind of fallout that we get with, like, people like the Vermeer survivor or Liara uh, mm-hmm. is kind of, like, pushed aside for, like, the fact that they won't come with us to fight the Collectors. And... But, like, I do remember there were, like, some, there were some conversations like Mass Effect 3 where I think Caden was, like, oh, were you around when, like, they, they were, like, trying to sweep everything we did on the rug and, like, they were talking about how, like, we had taken out the last of the outposts and... But, like, they never really talked about, like, these characters were probably, in, you know, some form, being, like, there's a, like, an imminent apocalypse coming and nobody else is listening to us. Mm-hmm. They, they never really talked about, like, the ramifications of that. Yeah, it's it's weird because you think about... Especially, like, even characters you meet in Mass Effect 2 end up kind of... Like, Garrus just kind of goes about his life, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, his life is murdering people, but, you know, he goes about his life. And Tali does kind of the same, although Tali's kind of looking for things that might be Reaper-related and all that. Mm-hmm. But... I did I did remember Anderson, though, like, does have, like, a con- kind of conversation, like, if, if you're... Uh, I, I, I probably said whether he's the counselor or not, but... He does talk about, like, you know, knowing the truth about the Reaper that nobody listening to me is, like, a fucking nightmare. Like, actual, like, nightmare. Like, he's the night shit. Um, mm-hmm. But even that, like, he had not been disgraced. He had not been 
uh, you know, branded a conspiracy theorist or and like lost his sort of standing. He had not in... started a podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Ugh>, anyway. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So Liara shows up. Uh, is just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't look very protein to me. It looks kind of weird. Uh, and then suggests that it's like Reaper Tech instead. Um, goes off on her whole theory thing, and then her call gets cut off because here come the collectors um so this is kind of like the the thrust of what this story is about i think which is uh you know as we learn in mass effect 3 vega lives through a collector attack on a colony and this is kind of where the story actually starts you know we've got this okay here's here's where the plot just kind of shows up as a giant ship and it touches down it feels almost a little on the nose to see it like this plainly like the plot has arrived we're going to do the thing that we intended to do and here come the collectors here come the the bugs and all that um and it did feel like the story was starting to like get in motion now because Mm. up to this point like we had seen so much just exposition and stuff that didn't really feel meaningful and here we get to actually you know you noted earlier in in the podcast that one thing the paragon lost does really well is show how horrific these collector attacks are and how much of like a horror story this all is and they definitely do a good job of that here where you are just seeing this entire colony slowly uh get paralyzed by the collector bugs there's a very it's an almost comical bit where uh, the giant vault doors that that James and and uh, I almost called her Liara <laughs> um, that that James and God I suddenly Tria Tria um, James and Tria were trying to get into earlier. Uh, this dude is banging on the door. He's like, "Let me in, let me in." You have to let me in. And the dude on the other side is like, uh, "I'm not supposed to let you in. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't like this." <laughs> and finally, when he opens the door. It's this angled shot of the dude runs inside, and then you see this horde of bugs fly inside, and then a bunch of bullets come flying out and screaming, and then it stops, and then the bugs fly back out. And it's like, it was almost Looney Tunes-ish in a way. I was Mm -hmm. like, was that supposed to be a laugh moment? Like, haha, they all got bug paralyzed. There are are a couple (laughs) moments in this movie that I'm just like, I don't know if it's just like relative lack of like quality to the animation or like the way they can sell mo- some moments. It's just like I'm like, is that supposed to be funny or is it? Or am I yes. just like this is like a ten year old movie? And okay, like okay, I- I'm glad you said that because there were multiple moments in here where I was like, was that supposed to be comedy? Was that like mm-hmm. supposed to be physical comedy that I just watched? Um, yeah, and yeah, it's some of it is questionably, you know, like the is it the animation because again like there's spots where it's really good uh and i think spots where it's really not great yeah and definitely in some of the cases here not not great but then the collectors all kind of touch down uh we get to see i guess not harbinger but yeah that was a weird thing i didn't because like there's a collector general which the original one or like the one that we've seen in Mass 2 is controlled by harbinger this this thing is just speaking a language that is distinctly not English. Yeah, and I don't know why. Like I get that. That's another thing. Is like I just don't. 
why why are these things like arbitrarily different in this movie like they they speak collector that's the, they got the collector language ken <laughs> is this what javik oh. sounds like when he's speaking actually when the translators aren't on i who knows i that who is a, that is a good point actually i guess but then wouldn't i mean theoretically then wouldn't um you know wouldn't all dialects sound different wouldn't tria or the krogan generals sound different too yeah, that's Brood. A... Sorry, I should remember what the Krogan General's name is. It's Brood. Um, that tells you how much I remember about that thrilling character that we learned so much about. I, it, um, it, it mainly just feels like a moment to like where they're trying to make the character, like the collectors, feel more alien. Which, like, I don't yeah. think that you—they are literal bugs. Like, you don't need to do that. Like, oh, hold on. I just—I forgot. We breezed right past it. But can we touch on one of the more egregious? beats in this movie for me um the the treatment of asari characters in general is super weird it, it's super like off so earlier when james is trying to flirt with tria and every everyone in the squad is watching from this vantage point uh essex is kind of like i don't get what he sees in her and the pilot guy is like what do you mean? Everybody wants a taste of the blue or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a skeevy joke, especially to make, like, right next to your girlfriend and all that. Uh, mm. But that's, like, that's a super, like, like, go ahead and, you know, listener at home, insert any other word you would you would think of in that context and it immediately becomes a very bad statement to say aloud. Uh, so I was sitting there and I was like, that's kind of messed up. I mean, I guess they already established that the pilot guy is a bit of a racist. So, or mm. space racist, I should say. But um, I, maybe it fits his character. But later on, I, and I didn't catch who said it because I feel like either they it was said off camera or it was just like not clear who spoke it. But when Tria calls Liara... Uh, somebody is like, does anybody else think all the Asari look the same? And I was just sitting here and I was like, are they just being super fucked up about aliens in this movie for, like, no reason? Like, it it is that Mass Effect 1 again where it's like, man, humans are kind of assholes about, yeah. <laughs> about alien species. And, like, uh, like, everyone here is an Ashley Williams type, but... At least in Mass Effect 1, it served some level of narrative in that you were understanding, okay, this is who humanity is. They kind of brought a lot of their problems into space. They are still getting used to the idea of being in space and around other species. And their, you know, humanity historically has not been super great about xenophobia and all other sorts of things so it you know it's it's serving the world building here but here it's just like played for laugh lines in a way right. that's like man who the fuck wrote this yeah. <laughs> like this movie's understanding of the mass universe feels so like elementary and like i don't know like like you said like it doesn't it doesn't serve the movie it's just like if there are these throwaway lines it's just like casual racism that like mm -hmm. that is never really reckoned with in any meaningful oh, way so god i just i can't believe I, I skipped over that because every time i think about it i'm just like why why would you include that that taste of blue line or whatever like it's just so bad it's such a bad line like 
I, I want that I want that joke writer to sit down and explain to me why it's funny so I can just stare at them and just be like, no, no, please tell me why is this funny? Please relate it to real world context because it's not going to be any funnier when you do that either. Like that's, oh God. Anyways, back to the, back to the thing at hand. Um, so we, at the squad, you know, obviously sees the collector ship come in and, and hauls ass back to the colony. By the time they get there, people are already kind of being paralyzed and taken into the pods and sent up to the ship. As we all know from aspect two, how this stuff works. Um, we see April and Christine uh, paralyzed specifically. Um, we <laughs> feels like halfway through this movie, they remember that part of Vega's character in Mass Effect 3 is that he sometimes uh, slips Latin phrases, Spanish, mm-hmm. you know, into his vocabulary. Uh, so it felt like at the beginning of this movie... Vega is definitely Paragon Shep, and then halfway through, it's Paragon Shep, but now he says, like, Oi, Feo, in the middle of fights, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, somebody reminded them that they are writing the character James Vega in Mass Effect 3. One of his um, redefining traits. Yeah, and honestly, if they had done it from the beginning, I'd be like, okay, yeah, they're doing Vega, but it it legitimately yeah. feels like halfway like through a, the movie, flip, they flip. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um... And so, we, they, they're sneaking through, they're trying to avoid getting caught by the collectors as they figure out what exactly is going on, uh, and Messner, who for some reason was with them in the Mako and stuff like that, uh, and is now with them again, uh, suggests that they go and activate that big ol' super awesome cannon that is up on the colony to try and shoot the collector ship to stop it from leaving and all that stuff so they they sneak in they get into the facility they start tracking stuff uh they they start powering on the cannons uh everybody's really horrified by what's going on for some reason we leave essex and camille alone together which Vega, you need to be a better commander than this. <laughs> you need to read the signs, the the red flags that have been going up. James Vega um, noted nowhere of etiquette to have around, like in yeah, a workplace, military setting. Yeah. Um, look, look at them. Oh, they're just vibing. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, it'll be all right. Wrong with and so it this is maybe one of the weird parts of the movie because they get to a point where they're charging up the gun. It's taking too long. They had set up this whole plan where the pilot guy blows up some fuel reserves in one part of the colony. So that way all the collectors get distracted and go over there. Um, meanwhile, they charge up the gun and get it ready to shoot at the collector ship. Uh, it's taking a long time to charge. And so, uh, I forget who's... I think it's Tria who suggests it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, why don't... I mean, we should just shoot the gun at 50% charge anyways because we don't want to hurt the colonists that might already be on the ship. You know, we don't want to kill them if we blow up the ship. Uh, so let's just shoot it at 50% and kind of wound the ship, you know, make it ineffective but not, you know, potentially kill them. And Vega's like, okay, that's that's a smart idea. I'll do that. Um and then they, they turn the turret on, they shoot the collector ship, and the shot deflects. 
I guess real, real quick, I also want to mention this. We didn't talk about this during the battle scene. That that didn't really matter. But are the guns kind of weird in this movie to you? How so? Do they seem like not mass? Like because it seems like they're shooting yeah. lasers at multiple points and not like 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 they seem almost kind of like Star Wars guns and not mm. you know in Mass Effect they do actually shoot bullets and right. I feel like in multiple times there are cases where you can kind of see that where it's like oh yeah that's it's shooting a bullet right now and obviously later on when there are collector weapons those are a little bit more techy you know those use energy and stuff like that but the bullets in this in this animated movie kind of look like lasers at multiple points mm. <laughs> um and so i bring that up because the turret also kind of looks like a laser <laughs> yeah. uh and it gets deflected off the barrier and now the collectors are aware and are like hey there's some stuff going on over there we gotta stop that um yeah so we we end up in the situation where the turret fires and it doesn't work and now everything's going bad um we get the most ridiculous action sequence in the movie in my opinion oh yeah there's competition for it (laughs) but the the sequence where vega and tria are falling out of the turret house i guess you I don't know what else to call it. Uh, the the station where the turret was located because the collector ship fires one of its big laser beams back at the turret. Um, and they do this weird, like, kind of stepping on things as they're falling. Mm-hmm. Like, very, very anime, but, mm-hmm. like, in a Naruto way that I was like, okay, James Vega, noted, graceful <laughs> acrobat. <laughs> Who able is this to... man that was claiming to be James Vega? Yeah, like, able to deftly jump from piece of falling debris to piece of falling debris all the way down to this tram way up in the sky as they're escaping. Um, And they get inside the tram. Meanwhile, uh, for some reason, Camille and Essex, who are with them, are staying outside on the top of the tram to hold off the collectors that are approaching, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Essex is kind of... Throughout the the movie, Essex is has ostensibly has a gun, but ends up just using his biotics and and fights with biotics and all that. Um, and Camille, Camille just shoots stuff, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. She doesn't really get a special thing to do. Uh, earlier in the movie, she was holding two guns at the same time, so maybe that is her special ability: is she is able to hold multiple guns. <laughs> that's that's her deal. <laughs> she, she got the dual wield spec. But she wasn't shooting them at the same time. She was just kind of alternating, I guess. Yeah, it was... I, I don't know. Look, I'm not here to judge you, Camille, but the collectors are because they pick her up and fly away with her. Um, and, and Essex is just like, no, don't, stop that, no. I guess he can't, like, biotic. You know, he could potentially kill her if he biotics and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But I was just like, dude, you... T- can't you just like grab force grab this collector and drag it back or something like that like he just kind of watches camille get gently lifted away by a collector and that that's that and he's just like no no (laughs) my wife (laughs) no not not wife (laughs) my 
My target of harassment. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's gonna have anyway. to overcome it. He's gonna have to overcome his space racism now to to harass somebody because because Tria is the only one left now. Oh um, God. Yeah. Or I don't know. Vega's right there. You know, it's maybe something's gonna blossom. Who knows? But who can think? Uh, uh, well, what we can say is that we then go back to the vault because they rightly assess that maybe if we shut ourselves inside the giant vault, we can get a moment to recuperate and think. Uh, so they're they're holding the line and uh, the pilot and again, I don't know if I've mentioned this enough yet, but Milk is the weirdest name mm. for a person ever and. I know it's spelled M-I-L-Q-U-E, but I've never heard of someone named that before, so I'm sorry if you yourself are named Milk. Um, I hope you live a long and prosperous life, unlike the milk that is in my fridge, which does not live a long and prosperous life. It lives for about two weeks, and then it goes bad. But I don't drink milk. I'm not a milk drinker. so I'm not lactose intolerant. I just don't really like milk all that much. I like milk with things like... Yeah, if you put some chocolate in that milk, then yeah. we're talking. But I'm talking like you, you, make you drink, you drink milk cocoa. and you, you, you eat cookies or you eat anything chocolate, really? I don't eat cookies often brownies. enough to really have that as a situation. You like, brownies? like brownie? Yeah, you like brownies. You can dip. You can dip a brownie in milk. I mean, you probably could, but I just like you, know, you, you eat them and you drink the milk. It's not, I don't think it's that complicated. I see it's the drinking the milk part is what gets I see I do like chocolate chip cookies and milk. I get into that. Like I, I I'm a fan of that. I just don't do it often enough to to really have, you know, strong opinions on it. I don't mm. know. Kids at home should drink their milk and also probably not listen to this podcast. But nope. <laughs> this... You're a child listening to this podcast, your parents are not doing their job. Uh, we are sorry. Uh, no, don't apologize. It's not our fault that they let their kids get get into the podcast app without any sort of fucking. At, at this guidance. point, we're at this point we're like triple digits deep into a series that is mostly about when it's not about murder, it's about fucking. So, uh, hello, children. <laughs> Let's talk about Paragon Lost. If you are um, a parent that listens to Normandy FM, please, please let us know if your child has also listened to Normandy FM. <laughs> and please stop. <laughs> Don't do that. Because um, I'm not going to change my ways. This, this show is never going to be child family friendly. <laughs> this is not a family friendly program. <laughs> uh, because right as we get to the vault door and they, they bring down the roof to try and create a blockade to hold out the big collectors uh but then they figure out that oh right bugs can go through the cracks of the rock which at this point i was like oh yeah the the bugs are still there why have they not been attacked by the bugs yet um there's a lot of very selective threat use in in this movie let's say where they're like oh right they have one of those they they can totally use those um but Essex kind of tries to have this big heroic moment where he holds off the bug swarm as the vault doors close so that everyone can be safe and then they check on the cameras they're like oh yeah Essex is paralyzed out there but I guess the the implication is that they cannot move him because like like he doesn't get abducted because the large collectors can't get through to get him it's only like the small collectors 
uh, the little bugs. So that's, I, I guess, I was wondering about that in the movie. I was like, he, he got poked by the bugs, but he didn't get taken away. That's probably why. Um, while we were in the vault in this little mysterious place, uh, Nikki, who has not gotten the chance to do much at this point, our tech guy, starts looking through various files and stuff to figure out uh, what's been going on because as we learn after they pull in Essex from outside and kind of secure the vault uh, there are like collector samples in this vault of, of Felprine. There's like some weird stuff going on here and Nikki finds files related to an antidote for the paralysis cure and also finds out I guess just on an email attachment or something that Messner, who has been hanging around with them all this time, who has been this total pal with Mako, just helping out and stuff, um, they uh, they find out he's a Cerberus spy, and he kind of organized this whole situation just to see so Cerberus could find out, you know, how all this stuff works and all that. Surprise! Cerberus is involved. Um, I thought this was real dumb, Ken. I thought this was real dumb. Getting s- let, let, let me just say that Messner is overall an entire plot line that I felt was a layer too extra for all this. Like, I feel like he exists purely to either move, like, like keep the plot, you know, like, keep stakes high, or, uh to at one point force a situation where certain information can be learned. I guess we could talk about that later, but I thought Messner as a character was just his his presence was frustrating because <laughs> I felt like he was unnecessary most of the time. Uh you already have like one main antagonist and he's just kind of there to be like the Grima worm tongue of sorry to use Lord of the Rings terms, but um you know the the lackey, the toady, the whatever to the to the big antagonist. I was mostly neutral on him, but I did like the idea of like Cerberus having because like at the timeline of this this movie is kind of weird, but like the the idea that Cerberus had to like go through certain means or like was at some point attempting to go through like certain means to learn about the collectors before Shepard came into the picture and yeah. kind of like because I mean. Spoilers for the end of this, this movie. Messner does not make it out of this. So, like, the idea that, like, we still had to go to, like, Freedom's Progress at the end of Mass Effect 2 to, like, clarify things and, like, just kind of, like, learn more about what the actual threat was. To know that Cerberus was, like, trying other things before they could bring back the heroic humanity icon, Commander Shepard, to fight this fight for them. That they were still, like, trying to make way, like make plays and, like, you know, make dents in the threat in whatever way they could was... Mm-hmm. That made sense to me. Like I was, I was following that, and I was like, good with that. Yeah, I. Mm, I guess I can understand that. I just there, there are other parts of this movie where I'm like, mm, we'll get to them. We'll get to them. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so. They Tria, you know, they they all kind of have a moment to talk. Um, you know, Tria is kind of wondering, like, hey, is this collector stuff is wild. I wonder if this is what happens to the Protheans. 
Um, we we see Brood from the Blood Pack. Uh, it turns out he was never sent off to trial or anything. He was just kind of kept in the basement by the by the lab folks to to test stuff on. Um, and he's like, "Hey, I know I can get you off the planet. Let me out of here." Um, and Vega's like, "Nah, I'm not doing that." Um, Vega has a moment where he's just kind of staring at a door. <laughs> and I was also wondering what was going on there because I was like, Vega, what are you doing? Like, he's just kind of looking at a door really attentively. And then Tria kind of walks up behind him and, and puts her head on his back and is like, you, uh, you made the right decision because you made a decision. You're a good leader. Like, you know, if, if we had, there was a moment earlier where they could have tried to help uh, April not get abducted, but James like held Tria back because he was like, no, nah, we we just give ourselves away and we'd all die. We've got to wait and watch and we'll have another opportunity to save them. Don't worry. Like, um, And... Uh, um, yeah, so that's... Okay, they, they used to... Well, she used to not like him and now he's saved her enough that she now likes him. I don't know. But... Um, <laughs> Enemy to love real quick. Yeah, well, it's not even, like... I, man, it's just like, they're, oh, you have saved my life enough times I'm now romantically attracted to you. Like, that's... Mm, again, the writing in this mm. movie. <laughs> but yeah. uh, eventually, Nikki is like, hey, guess what? We found a way that we can make a cure for the paralysis... Uh, so we can try and bring Essex back. Yay! Essex gets to survive yep. in this movie more. Mm. Uh, so they they start using the cure on him, but it seems like it's not working. Uh, more rumbling starts, which they think is Brood, uh, because Brood had been causing some rumbling earlier. But no, it's actually Supergiant Collector. Um, which I guess... So you, you note here that it's supposed to be a Praetorian. Um I guess I could see that. It just kind of seemed like they drew a giant collector thing and were like, yeah, that looks right. <laughs> because it's kind of this giant mass of bodies with Camille in the middle for some reason, just kind of poking out. Like like if the, if the collector was a kangaroo, then Camille Jesus is like Christ. in the pouch pocket of the kangaroo collector. Oh, goodness. <laughs> It oh, is. Well, I don't God. have a better way of describing that. There's just, Camille's just kind of hanging out there. I mean, it is a Praetorian. Like that is like we we know what that looks like from Mass Effect Two. They are like right. A, well, sort of like I mean, it, it does thing with like a like cluster it does of look, humans in it. It does look roughly like a Praetorian. All right, because it's that it's that asshole thing that I died to like five times in a row in that one section where you have to fight it with like no cover. Uh, but it also just kind of looks and this is maybe like speaking to the animation quality again but it just kind of looks like they made a really big collector thing that looks vaguely like a praetorian and then again like camille if it's supposed to be like oh there's all these bodies in it and stuff camille is like sticking out of it like aggressively so like they just kind of like they looked at the praetorian and were like well we better shove this lady in there and well, <laughs> like my found, my feeling on found this one was like pouch. they were like how can we make sure that the that people know that it is the person that they have been following through this whole movie? Which makes it weird because like all the other heads are husks and like like very distinctly yeah. made to look like Reaper things, and so like they just 
and 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 I mean they use this as like a way to very quickly uh, kill off Mason, and because he's like, I see my girlfriend's face that has, and like this I'm not gets the vaporized, the just and, yeah. zapped. <laughs> so like on a like divorced from the context of like what it's supposed to look like in the Mass Effect universe, which is but like she should not be distinct amongst the the cluster of humans that are being made of the thing. Yes. That is, like, a effective scene to me to, like, really contextualize, like, people being forced to see the people that they care about made into monstrosities. But it, it is also, like, silly that, like, she is the one that is not made and, like, she's not reprofied in the midst of it. Yeah. And also, like, just just quick side note, why is she naked? I mean, I imagine that you don't need clothes to make, like, if you're a reaper. Yeah, but they game. don't need to take your clothes off to make you a reaper. You see what I'm getting at? <laughs> like, like, like I, I am going to, like, I'm going to offer some charitable leeway to this movie. Like, that did not feel sexualized to me. No, then, then, I'm not saying like, it's, I'm not saying it's sexualized. I'm saying it's weird. <laughs> like, it was, it was a moment where I was. I mean, are any of the other husks in it wearing clothes? I mean, I get, like, do do husks wear pants? Is one of the great questions of of Mass Effect lore, but. Like, I, I was I was thinking about it afterwards because for some reason this movie just like I kept thinking about it afterwards, just being like, why did they do that? And that was one of the ones that came back was I was thinking about like, oh man, that scene with Camille in the middle of the in, in the kangaroo pouch was really weird. And then I was like, wait a minute, she you know she has like it's not like she's you know just hanging out totally nude. You just kind of see like I'd say from like upper 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 chest like mostly just shoulders you know neck and face and all that there's like you know no actual like torso nudity or anything like that but it was like bare shoulders and all that and before she was wearing you know commando armor and all that and i was just sitting there i was like when did they take that off of her before they jammed her into the praetorian also when did they jam her into the praetorian like there i have a lot of questions ken (laughs) About the logistics like, of my, what the collectors are doing here. Like for me, like the the more questionable thing about that scene is that like she is not she does not look like a like a husk. Like that is yes yes. Like I think that, that is, is like the root of the issue. That is like, number I, one. I'm less concerned about her nudity and more like why does she specifically not? No no, no. again look that's number one. That's number one. Number one is why is she not a husk? Number two is when did they jam her into the Praetorian? Like, were they just bringing the Praetorian down to attack the vault? And they're like, hey, we got this human, by the way, that we, you know, a flying dude flew off with her. Why don't we just jam her in there real quick? Um, and then number three is where did her clothes go? <laughs> so that's that's my one, two, three succession there of what is happening in this scene, um, which which I use to highlight that I think a lot of this movie was written to like, you know, we're just going to keep doing stuff that that feels, you know, super weird and super messed up. Like I get another thing to like draw you know, comparisons to is like Dawn of the Dead. Um the, the I think it's Dawn of the Dead. The one where they're all in the shopping mall and you know, like everybody's hiding out for the zombies and all that and kind of gradually worse and worse things keep happening and and eventually they're like oh you know this the the numbers dwindle over time and all that i feel like that's the same vibe they're going for here but uh 
it feels like in the pursuit of subjecting these characters to increasingly horrific situations, mm. they kind of trip over themselves to get there in places. Um, which don't worry, we'll get to again in a moment. Uh, because as we run from the Praetorian, uh, they leave Essex in the med bay. He's kind of chilling out. I guess the Praetorian doesn't really care either. He just kind of runs past him too. Um, James lets Brood out. Um, is like, hey, you know, never mind. Let's actually take you up on this deal. And Brood's like, yeah, man, you spared my life back on back in that battle. You didn't let your your buddy murder me, so I guess we're pals now. Um, okay. And I mean, and if if saving if James saving somebody's life can cause a romantic attraction, it seems perfectly reasonable to me that the Krogan that would think that we're they're Vega, fucking blood yeah. brothers now. Yeah, well, no, no, I'm saying that Brood and Vega should be the ones dating and not and not Vega and Tria, but that's that's a more complicated question. But um Yeah, no, no, I I'm not not to play that off as like that that totally vibes. Although Brood in general is just kind of played off as like the most stereotypical Krogan ever. Mm-hmm. Um which is kind of a bummer cuz I do think he ends up being kind of fun in in a way Maybe it's better that he doesn't get any actual exposition because it feels like the longer you're on screen, the more <laughs> your character kind of becomes a trope. You know, see mm-hmm. Essex and the lengths to which this movie goes to make you try and like Essex despite me not wanting to like Essex at all. Um, but yeah, it's it, Brood's a good time. He's, he's he's fun and apparently has a shuttle just chilling in the colony. Because uh, he's like, yeah, man, I, I got a shuttle hidden nearby that we can get to that can get us off world. Don't worry. Uh, and it's just like under some rubble over in a place. And again, really weird. Like, why was this here? Why? I mean, he said <laughs> like, it was, he had it there to leave when he was here originally. But it, but it's still like inside the colony. And how how did a blood blood pack mercenary who was attacking the colony originally get a shuttle inside the colony with his own weapons his own weapon lockers and stuff like that no see what i'm saying <laughs> there's weird shit in this movie ken that does not logistically click together <laughs> um anyways we we just let it roll because this movie needs to move forward at some point um the Praetorian uh, keeps chasing them as they're on the ship, and they get into all kinds of stuff um, where they're they're fighting with the Praetorian in the middle of the air. They've got all these weapons. Tria gets to shoot a, a collector with a flamethrower. It's super cool. <laughs> um, and they, they decide that the best way to get into the collectorship is to fly into the eye that's shooting the lasers, uh, which is actually not a terrible idea. Good job. Um, and they kind of blast through the wall and get in there, find all the colonists in their various pods and stuff. Well, we uh, did skip one. We did skip one pivotal scene. Oh, what is the pivotal scene? When they're all like making this plan, and then James uh, passes the drink around. Oh yeah, yeah. Where he's he pulls. He's like, I've got this plan for us to get inside, and he he pulls the flask out, and they're all passing it around and taking a drink and. Um, offering their own contribution to the plan as it goes around. Uh, because as 
they say multiple times over and over again this is a suicide mission no it's a suicide like somebody clearly played mass effect 2 (laughs) it's debatable did they play mass effect or not i can't really tell when i watch the movie they they want you to know that they remember that in Mass Effect Two there is a suicide mission because <laughs> they definitely say it like twelve times in this one scene. One time for um, squad mate. Yeah. Rip. Um. So they uh they they get inside the ship and they're flying to the drive core to try and take out the drive core, and then Messner's like, I can't let you do that. And shoots Brood in the head, which makes the the ship crash. Uh, because as we now have found out, as everyone wakes up and they're all paralyzed and stuff and inside pods and all that, um, Messner has been working with the the collectors and also Cerberus. And Ken, I gotta be honest, I lost it a little bit here, so maybe you can make the threads click better. Because I was like, okay, so he's working with the collectors and with cerberus and the collectors are apparently totally chill with him getting intel and they're like totally aware of him just like learning everything about them for an organization right so there's like a a, there there are like points at which like it start it lines up for me because like the collectors and the reapers like they are very uh proud individuals probably don't think that like even anyone knowing shit is going to affect them like even like with yeah. Saren in Mass Effect 1 like Saren was like had that entire uh, station on Vermeer was to research indoctrination and Sovereign was well aware that that was a thing and so like maybe they just like view their cause and like their power as like so impenetrable that like even if this fucking dude and like Cerberus know shit about them they don't expect that's going to be an issue um the weird thing to me was, like, they let him do all of that, but the thing like the, th- the thing that, like, ended the, like, agreement that they had was that Trio was on the ship. Like, that, like they brought an Asari into the uh, ship, and, like, I guess... They, and, you know, we'll get to the point where James and friends wake up, and, like, oh, they have tried to interrupt our plans, so, like, you are no... Like, this is no longer... Like, th- mm-hmm. this deal is over now, and it's like, okay... I, I, I got I got the idea of you have caused too much shit to go wrong for us to continue to work with you. But yeah, I was like, they straight up know that this dude is just trying to get all the info he like, and he's not subtle about it either. Right. He's like, like, so they're they're in this whole situation where they're gonna you know start liquefying folks, and this is the one scene where we actually see the one of the colonists get turned into the DNA slurry and all that that gets shot into the the ship that you know we will eventually learn in mass effect 2 and in this movie what that is be being used for but um you know vega and pals are all kind of in their various um pods and a messner is like oh i'm gonna take tria and take her away because there's something i need you for and all that kind of stuff uh meanwhile Vega, I like that you wrote in your notes through the power of horniness. <laughs> uh, gets through paralysis. So um, yeah, and I, that was that joke that I made was preemptive because like he did he is like oh I spiked the drink we all passed around with the antidote. So oh okay, that makes more sense because I was yeah I felt like I missed that plot point too. So I was like 
did he just kind of power through that or what? But then that also implies like if he spiked it with the antidote that he knew that something might go wrong. Yeah, I think like, just being prepared. But then like, why I, I why that. wouldn't he ju- why wouldn't he just then tell everyone, "Hey, let's all take some antidotes so that way if we get stung, we're going to be okay." I don't know. That, that why is, would that he why would he keep that detail secret? Maybe James. Maybe that's where like the the real himbo energy of the true James Vega that we meet in Mass Effect Three shows up. He's like, I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> and then also, like, how did it work out that you know all of them drank it, and clearly, you know, they they make a joke about it later because at this point they're like, okay, let's get the antidote dispersing and all that so that the colonists can wake up. Uh, meanwhile, Vega's going to go off to save Tria. Um, which, by the way, we forgot to note that during the ship segment, when they were getting in, Essex shows back up. So Essex is suddenly, that's how they know the antidote is working. It's because Essex, Essex comes in all biotic-powered and stuff, and he's like, I'm back, and I'm like, oh, this movie sucks. <laughs> and, um, so so Essex and Tria are, 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 Essex and Vega are off to save Tria. Everybody else is kind of trying to wake the colonists up with their antidote and stuff. Um uh nikki died at one point i forgot to mention that too god we there are so many points in this where like characters have died and things have happened but they feel so uncritical to the plot like Mm. um i don't think nikki dies here i'm trying to remember where nikki dies i remember it being a very emotional scene but i can't remember when it happened in the movie um Hmm. well we have the power of control f on my notes oh thank you yeah well your notes are very long ken um uh the praetorian yeah it was the praetorian see i i i was right um oh and then he there was that that scene where sx is like oh the uh just so you know like i threw in your your yeah yeah ugh yeah sorry (laughs) sorry folks at home this is just a weird movie (laughs) (laughs) um so they decide that they're going to go save Drea. They're going to use the antidote. Milk is going to find uh, there's there's a human ship, a shuttle that they're going to use to get away. Um, and meanwhile, Messner has taken Tria to a panel where um, where he can like view. It. I feel like it's kind of a Prothean beacon, kind of. Um, yeah, something along those lines. But it also kind of looks like it, it weirded me out because it looked like the remnant tech from Andromeda, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> but uh, he's like, "Well, I, I brought some dudes here to to try and mind read it, and you can see the results of that because there's just like two dudes in Hawaiian shirts with their brains fried next to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Hawaiian shirts really got me too, <laughs> but." Um, He's like, now you're going to try it and see if it works. And uh, Tria ends up kind of getting forced to use it and sees through the beacon that, yes, it was all true. The Reapers came and killed all the Protheans and then turned a bunch of them into the Collectors. The Collectors are Protheans. Liara Tassoni was right. Uh, hashtag Liara was right. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it all happened, and, and she's like, oh, my God. And, and like, says all that, and the Messner's like, yeah, but I want to know what they're doing with the humans, so let's go again, round two. I bet you'll learn more this time. And I'm thinking to myself at this point, I'm like, I'm not sure how that, that's how that works, but mm. okay. 
whatever and he kind of forces her hand in which gets his hand in the mix too and they both see that uh the collectors are using the human slurry to make a reaper um that they are creating a reaper so again we now know all the information from mass effect 2 at this point um so at this point they then leave this area and head to where the collectors are doing all this stuff i guess like the command station meanwhile as as milk is trying to get the shuttle running uh vega and essex are headed to where they are to try and save tria uh the collectors as we mentioned before get super mad they're like oh you brought all these humans on board and they're causing all these problems they're like blowing stuff up in the lower levels and all that um you know and also you brought an asari here to read our super secret beacon and come on dude that's not chill that's that's a party foul we gotta kick you out of the, the ship now um and and they like bring down a pod and i feel like they imply that they're going to take messner but then they're like oh we're going to eject uh tria into space and so they like put her in the pod but she like sneaks off the the data cuff which can apparently read thoughts or read beacon thoughts or whatever because it has all the information from the beacon on his little data cuff thing and she like grabs it before she gets put in the pod and they like try to inject her eject her out into space using the the hatch which is also definitely not how that works Mm -hmm. um because like at this point like they're like very clearly trying to set up a very specific scenario for some character to have to deal with yes even if yeah. it doesn't all fit <laughs> even if the pieces don't yeah. all fit together the let's say they're putting the trolley on the tracks <laughs> they are um getting ready to do that whole thing and vega arrives of course as soon as tria is in imminent danger and essex is like yo man i got this i'm gonna do biotic stuff to fight these collectors you go deal with you know saving tria and all that um so while essex is doing cool biotic shit uh vega like shoots some rocks to try and fall down and stop the vacuum hole that's headed out into space but he also like misses it in a way that again is is was it supposed to be physical comedy because she goes like flying out and then it closes with enough of a gap of time that I felt like there should have been a womp womp in there, like a sad trombone. <laughs> like, can this movie? I can't with this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, um, and uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's we get into a whole fight where James is fighting Messner and uh, Essex is fighting collectors and uh essex dies because he gets stabbed but he like does this whole biotic attack like you know one last hurrah and they try to make it be like oh yeah essex you're super cool you got two last stand moments in this movie (laughs) yeah truly the character that deserves it let's forget about the time that he grabbed another character's ass and harassed her in the workplace and everyone else was totally chill with it and he gets to be a hero twice yeah essex well that woman got made into a reaper 
Meanwhile, Nikki's death was so forgettable, we forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. They did you dirty, Nikki. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So Vega... Also, again, really annoying part of this whole situation is that Vega is, like, talking to Tria, who is falling down into the atmosphere alongside the Collectorship. The Collectorship is also plummeting back down to the planet through the atmosphere, so they're both falling at roughly the same speed. Put a pin in that. And, uh, and Vega is, like, on comms with Tria this whole time, and she's like oh no i'm hurtling into the atmosphere oh no never mentions once that she stole the data cuff so vega spends easily like five minutes just beating the crap out of messner and doing this whole scene where he's like where's the data cuff give me the data cuff and suddenly tria's like oh yeah by the way uh i've got i've got the cuff i've I've got the intel um you know you can stop beating up messner now (laughs) (laughs) um and the the shuttle milk who you know our cowardly sniper who also was apparently a pilot at one point but was super bad at it has figured out how to fly the shuttle and gets there in time uh vega leaves messner uh for for dead you know he basically gets blown Mm. up by collectors and very very like anticlimactically too like vega just kind of runs away and then you just see like a bunch of bullets rain down on mm. messner <laughs> again I, is this supposed to be a comedy or not um and they get in the shuttle and now we get the the big moment um the paradigm running a choice yes literally like this feels like it should have been a choice in a mass effect game it, it legitimately feels like so kudos like in, to them for in, this like i say in a movie that is like weirdly incongruous with the mass effect franchise at large in multiple spots like you got like the the morality philosophy behind the series like captured in one moment yeah and and like we we get to this whole situation where so milk is at, at this point milk and vega are the only ones who have survived through all this everyone else has died in some way uh tria is in a collector pod hurtling towards the planet meanwhile all the colonists have come to have been uh the antidote gas has has waken the, woken them up and they're kind of fighting the collectors but also trying to like you know they're waiting for the shuttle to come get them mm-hmm. and they're basically like they realize that they only have time to save one of the two parties so here's here's the trolley problem choo choo mm-hmm. uh do you save one person uh or do you save a bunch of people uh and they really they play this one up they and 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 amp it up and dramatically ramp it up and then you see the collector ship well first you see tria's pods start to kind of fall apart and then you also see the collector ship ram into the ground and well then... well there's been like scenes of like april and christine together like april like james is gonna come save us yeah and... he's going to come get us it's, oh they're and they're gonna milk that one don't worry we'll, we'll come back to that <laughs> uh yeah it's you know it's really amped up for time and surprise uh we jump to a scene where hackett and anderson are talking to vega in person and milk is there and then it pans over 
and we see dun 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 it's tria oh no mm. and hack it hack it in quotation marks <laughs> it's it's like you you did a lot of good you know a lot of people died to get this intel but it could save millions more we know what we're up against this is going to help us with weapon tech this is going to help us with everything this this intel is is vital thank you for getting this for us which again i felt like when they were setting up this trolley first problem with this trolley problem uh it felt like they were not properly establishing that while Tria is one person, she also has the data cuff mm. and that like saving her means saving the Intel and the data and potentially, you know, like helping humanity be prepared for future collector attacks and, and Reaper attacks and stuff like that. And also, you know, like bringing proof of what the reapers are and what happens to the Brothians and all that to light like actual hard solid evidence uh mm. i felt like they did not properly establish that as a reasoning for him in the moment right. and even afterwards uh it still kind of felt like he made the choice because his enemy to lover was in that pod um i don't know can as as vega stumbles you know has this terrible moment where you kind of at with all this I, something that like is occurring to me now like so there there is a moment where like anderson i think i think it's anderson says something along the lines of like the the rumors of shepherd's death are greatly exaggerated oh yeah um, yeah and something that like in the confines of this movie i think that makes like the everything that's happened like way more tragic is like something that james does eventually say to shepherd in Mass Effect 3, ultimately, it didn't fucking matter because Shepard was out there fighting the Collectors and, like, ended the Collector threat. Mm. And so, like, there, there's, like, a whole, like, other section of context that makes this, like, this, this already tragic moment in this movie more tragic, but it's not really touched upon in the movie, and, like, I feel like that's, like, a very important bit of context for, like, how you should feel in the midst of watching this. Um... Like that's like partially missed opportunity, but also like partially it seems like a major omission on the movie's part. Um, cause like, I yeah. mean, I, yeah, and and you know there is like talking like it's all about like what he felt he needed to do in the moment, and that is valid. That is like kind of, I guess the underlying point in the movie is that like even though he like, regardless of how much uh, maybe maybe okay that maybe I'm being charitable again, but like maybe that like adds something to it being like it's all about like all about the context of the moment instead of like like what you feel like you should do now with the information you have as opposed to like knowing all the information and making a decision that way um hmm it's yeah it is it's a weird moment and like i i to to really get at the part of why so what kind of soured me on this movie as a whole i think more than you know the stuff we already mentioned about like you know ashley williams brother the pilot who just is super space racist all the time um and like you know the weird stuff they did with camille and i get we forgot to talk about the collectors who are just randomly different sizes at certain times they are tall so like well it felt like they showed normal sized collectors at one point or at least more human sized collectors but then 
and, and also like when vega tries to use one of their guns there's there's a scene where he picks up one of their guns and shoots a collector with it and it's like a really really big gun and you can see him like kind of lifting it and and like trying to use it wield it it's a little unwieldy and then later on he's holding it like it's a normal sized gun and mm-hmm. but also the collectors that are like kind of the the head collectors of the ship are like really tall like lady dimitrescu tall and uh like i i felt and, and i was trying to remember in my head i was like the ones you fight in mass effect 2 are definitely like they might be you know tall for human standards but they are like relatively close to humans in size mm. they're not that much taller um whereas these things were like towering over messner and tria in that one scene and i was like okay so i guess we're just kind of whatever with yeah. proportions and all that okay cool um but it, the, like like all the all those all those things aside like it you, you kind of have a standard of what a video game movie is going to be, right? Like, you understand that it's going to kind of take some liberties in some places and do some things that are going to be a little bit different or weird or not congruous with the canon in some way. And the the part that they finally got to where, okay, now Vega, you know, he's they've, they've accepted him into the N7 program. They want him to train to be just like Shepard, essentially, they do this whole bit where it's like, okay, you're just like Shepard, yeah, following Shepard's footsteps. Meanwhile, he's kind of like struggling, and Milk and and Tria go with him to go back to Fell Prime, and there's this whole scene where he has this like huge emotional breakdown, uh, seeing the crash site where the collector ship landed, um, and it's it's just really long, and it's really overwrought. And there's this whole section where, um, there's this whole section where you're you're watching him kind of walk by all these workers who are working on, you know, picking up all the scraps and stuff like that. And he he bumps into one of them, and, and they're like, hey hey buddy, watch watch where you're going and stuff. And he <laughs> he runs, he just starts running. He starts running, and he starts crying, and he starts having this breakdown, and Tria is crying because she finds uh, April's bunny on the ground and all that kind of stuff, and it's... They really, like... They had done this whole scene where Vega was, like, agonizing over which choice he was going to make, and you're sitting there like, which choice is he going to make? And then we go through this whole thing where he's having a breakdown about how he couldn't save any of them. And then he has like a weird flashback to reliving that moment and seeing it again. And I was like, wait, are we going to, are they going to pull a, that was all a dream? You know, this yeah, is I what actually what happened. Um, you know, he, he actually ended up saving all of them or something like that. But then it turns out you, they're just flashing back so that you can watch all the colonists die as they crash into the earth and like mm-hmm. you see all of them get crushed by stone and Christine and April are like holding each other and like it's it's really like it is it is like downright heartbreaking like it is re- a really sad scene and it was like genuinely affecting but i think the thing that just completely undercuts it is that it's this weird flashback that they're having 
and the way they structured this whole scene just makes very little sense to me in the grand scheme of things like they're they're just kind of doing this whole thing where they're just really driving a stake into vega's heart about like okay you've had to make tough decisions but here's the toughest decision you make and now he's living with it this is so difficult and he's living this moment again but like it's a moment we haven't seen yet i feel like this would have been more effective if we had already seen this moment and then mm-hmm. now when he was back on fell prime he was having flashbacks of it that would like better get the point across that he is having flashbacks and he, he can't stop thinking and he can't stop reliving that moment mm-hmm. and all that um i don't know i just i felt like it was completely undercut it how did how did you feel about it so it, it was a weird thing it's like i i have not watched this movie in like close to a decade because i would have like got it when it came out and um I don't know why my brain, like, rewired my memory of this movie to remember, like, a weirdly, like, jarring, like, disconnect, like, a a scene that did not happen in this movie, and, like, to see something that was, like, more appropriate than what I remembered was, like, like, one in and of itself, like, a weird, like, surprise, like, a pleasant surprise, I think, just because, like, the the weird, like, kind of, what's the, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but, like, something that, like, basically celebrates what Vega had done and just kind of, like, talks, like, had some weird fucking speech about how great Shepard and he was gonna be like Shepard or some mm-hmm. shit. Like, they, I had some weird, like, distorted memory of this movie for a while. So, like, in that sense, I thought it was more affecting than a lot of other, like, I mean, again, like, I feel like the first half of this movie does not really communicate what the latter half is going to be. And mm-hmm. so to have, like, it have it have been this more really, like, this kind of, like, case study of, like, what the horror of the collectors are, uh, end with, like, somebody, like, being profoundly fucked up about it, was, um, it worked for me, and... Sorry, sorry, you finished it up. Well, and that was was basically it, like, for... In in the isolated confines of Paragon Lost, the scene worked for me. What I think I'm coming around to most is that, like, Paragon Lost did, did something for me when it came to the world of Mass Effect in terms of a very specific thing being the horror of a collector invasion. When it came to the character that it was all about, I don't really feel like I got anything out of it because the character in this movie is not the character that we meet in Mass Effect 3. Like, right, technically, right. yes, it is James Vega, the, the man that we see that is fucking broken by all of this is not who we meet as Commander Shepard. And I just... That's what's frustrating to me about this movie, among, like, amongst the other laundry list of things we've talked about, is that, like, this this is supposed to be about, you know, this really important moment for James Vega, but the character that we're following is unrecognizable to me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I learned anything new about James Vega because it's, this is distinctly not that character. Yeah, um... I agree with a lot of what you said and like the the idea that this is supposed to be and eventually he has this moment where he realizes like oh wait you know I can still be he sees like the memorial wall where all the names are up there and he like lays down his medals on on the memorial and he's like well if I'm going to keep living I can spend the rest of my life trying to you know make your sacrifice worth it and all that kind of stuff and and like Tria comes over to like you know affectionately look at him and he's like i'm glad you're here and all that and 
it, but I will it, forget like, about you to... thin with movie of over. Yeah, and I'm never going to mention you when I'm hitting on Commander Shepard. <laughs> um, but it's it was kind of weird that like that was the note it ended on was this like mm-hmm. it, it felt like they had to suddenly course correct and be like oh wait we've got to get him back to being James Vega being that ura marine who's leading all the soldiers into battle at, in the final scene of the movie and and that's you know so that way he can be Vega in Mass Effect 3 and all that but even weirder i think so the point you brought up like you know showing the horror of the collectors I, I agree with that i think it does a good job of just showing how you know messed up the collectors are in one go and kind of what the colonists would go through and what entire colony would go through um but his the the freak out he has at the end the the attack he has at the end um is like purely related to the decision he made and not necessarily mm. to any of the horrors he saw like of people getting liquefied mm. or people dying yeah, sure. like he doesn't he, he remembers his squad mates dying in battle weirdly only like essex and nikki uh he doesn't really apparently have any emotional ties to the pilot or the girl in the kangaroo pouch <laughs> but it's it was weird that he was just kind of like most of his you know issues were tied up around the fact that he made i guess that's kind of the point is you know he made that choice that was something that he could have his whole character arc is he wants to save everyone and he has this big dramatic line where he's like if i could give my life to save all of yours i would and so and um it it does sell that but like you said it just feels kind of weird that then you know if somebody watched this movie and then played mass effect 3 i would honestly be interested in their take of it because right again i feel like the vega in in mass effect 3 the fact that they don't reference any of this the fact that tria isn't mentioned at all the fact that like you know this really all we know about fell prime is that vega made a really tough choice there where he could have saved colonists or he could have saved intel and he chose to save Intel, and that's like, I, I I don't know. It's this was this movie was ultimately fine. It wasn't the it was absolutely not even close to the worst video game movie I've I've ever seen. But as a piece of Mass Effect, you know, ostensibly a piece of Mass Effect canon, uh, it just feels really out of place and right. does not neatly fit into the thing it's going to do and that's kind of my my ultimate takeaway is that if you're going to do something like this and you're going to go to the effort of tying it into a character and tying it into a game and making it canon and all that kind of stuff try and keep it congruous so that way when all this stuff has to link up back together in the end you don't have this situation where it feels like there are two distinctly different characters yeah and something that's like worth pointing out is that like paragon lost carries the distinction of being the thing that is not handled at least somewhat internally by Bioware, because, like, all the novels Mm -hmm. and, uh... Or most of the novels and the the comics are written by Bioware writers. Like, they are people that are in that, you know, in that space, like, really paying more attention to, like, the finer details of shit, where this was not the case for Paragon Lost, which is, like we said, uh, handled by a separate studio, and that's all well and fine, that, like, if you want to kind of outsource these things, but, like, maybe maybe like continuity is like 
a lot people people take more care to make sure that it's, it's everything kind of like fits neatly in place. Um, so maybe if Paragon Lost was made now, it would have been a little bit different, as opposed to it just being this tie-in that EA and Bioware handed off to an anime studio and got what they got, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It 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 does make me curious, like how much you know. Were they given any sort of like Bible of here's like what the universe is and here's what all the lore is and here are the here are the rules you can't break and here are the basic tenets because they get some stuff right and they even like do some exposition on stuff like the importance of Ezo and all that kind of stuff mm. but it's it all just kind of feels weird like it's yeah it's, I don't know Paragon Lost a weird weird movie um, yeah. We're going to be watching another movie, though, because yeah. uh, for, for folks at home listening to Normandy FM, you might be wondering, hey, what's going on right now, if, if you didn't remember from our last few episodes? So we're doing a couple filler episodes right now between uh, Jade Empire, which we finished last week, and uh, what is going to be our Last of Us season. We're doing a couple little Bioware hits just to kind of circle back around to some stuff that we didn't get to in our first run through, and also because Ken and I are feeling weirdly nostalgic about mm. uh old mass effect stuff but next week is not a mass effect thing next week is a dragon age thing because we are finally watching dawn of the seeker which is the cassandra movie i mm-hmm. believe i've never seen it either so yeah. it's the cassandra film that leads into her I, I think it's the story of her like fighting the dragon right she does something like super badass mm-hmm. in it um cool i'm looking forward to that so if you want to get your watching done i forgot to mention it up front but paragon loss if you do want to watch it yourself uh is on hulu and mm-hmm. ken verified earlier before our recording that dawn of the seeker is also on hulu so that is the way to get those if you wish to go about that uh the week after dawn of the seeker we'll be doing annihilation which is the book about uh mass effect andromeda and the Quarian arc and then we will be doing Foundation after that, which is the comic series, uh, kind of filling in some some of the gaps of the Mass Effect series. And then we'll be on a one-week break, and we'll jump right into The Last of Us after that. We're very much looking forward to that here on Normandy FM, a usually Bioware retrospective podcast. As always, <laughs> you can head over to Norm- patreon.com slash normandyfm and support us. Uh, you can get into the backer discord that way where we hang out and talk shop and all that kind of stuff and uh, you can also just get episodes early and if you back at a certain level you get shouted out every week on the podcast and this week that list is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin just Colin, just Zach Mickle, The Wedge of Destiny Will Bang Okay and Mila Hyde thank you all so much for donating and contributing and helping us keep this thing going keep the lights on around here um i think that's really about it for this ken like it feels weird to just have a one-off episode you know yeah. like just to, we we talked about a movie the movie existed and we're done with it all in one go feels strange you know concept i guess we'll we'll see you all next time for dawn of the seeker here on Norman <laughs> 